black, proud, independent, determined, educated, resilient, compassionate, batty, funny, quirky, unique, creative, thoughtful, sincere, loyal, gutsy, vibrant, resourceful, imaginative, engaging, fabulous, awesome. Those are all words that describe me, the Brick City Brown Chick. Welcome to my podcast, What I Know Now. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to What I Know Now. I am your host, the Brick City Brown Chick, and today we are going to start episode six, which is called Who Are You? with a quiz. What was codified into law on June 12, 1967? So what case did the Supreme Court decide on June 12, 1967? Give up? It's called Loving v. Virginia, and it was the case that made interracial marriage law across the United States. So a couple with the last name Loving sued the state of Virginia over not being allowed to get married because she was black and he was white. So that's when interracial marriage became legal across the United States. I know people like to think that the 1960s was a long time ago, but it really wasn't. My mother will be 90 years old this year. What I always think is anything that has happened in her lifetime was not that long ago. In 1967, my parents had been married seven years, and it was three years before I was born. So that actually was not a long time ago. Why is that important, and why are we starting with that particular fact? Today, we are going to be talking about interracial marriage, which is a huge discussion point these days for people who think interracial marriage is something that should not happen versus people who think there's nothing wrong with it. And people come at it from all perspectives and all walks of life. I am coming at this topic from my perspective because that's the only one that I have. I have been in an interracial marriage for 24 years. We will be celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. So this is a topic that I know a lot about from a first-person perspective. So to understand how I got to where I am today, you have to understand where I came from. I've said before that my parents came out of the Jim Crow South. Both of them left their respective Southern states in the 1950s. 
My father left to join the United States Army. He did two tours in Korea. My mother left North Carolina because she wanted better opportunities, so she moved north. When my father left the military, he decided he did not want to go back to Georgia because of all he saw during the war and how he was treated better in Vietnam than he was treated in the southern United States as a black man. He decided he wanted more opportunities and he moved north as well. So they met each other in New Jersey after a couple of years of both of them being there. I was born into their union 10 years after they were married. That was planned from their perspective. They wanted to do sort of all the things that young married people do, go to shows, have parties, all that sort of thing, until they decided they were ready to settle down and have children. So children became a child because they were in their late 30s when I was born. My parents were always very encouraging to me of my friendships uh, with different types of people. I had Italian friends. I had Puerto Rican friends. The grade school I went to was more than half Italian and Puerto Rican. And that was something that neither of them ever had a problem with. As I got older and I went to high school, my high school was probably, at the time, probably 60-40. So probably 60% white and 40% black. So my parents always talked to me about their experiences growing up, what they had to go through, what their parents had to go through. So I was always very clear on the fact that as a, at the time, as a black girl, my life was going to be very different and I was going to be seen very differently than the white girls I went to school with. I knew that from an early age. These days, some people will say they don't want their children growing up feeling different. But the reality of the world is if your children are black or mixed race, whatever they are, they are different. The world is going to treat them different. Is that right? Absolutely not. Is it fair? Absolutely not. But is it a fact? It absolutely is. So there was never any ambiguity for me in terms of how I needed to present myself in the world as a black woman. When I came of age in the 80s, mid 80s, like early 90s, I always had what my mother drilled into my head about never leave the house, you know, looking a mess, always have your hair done, always have a nice outfit on, always have nice shoes, make sure your shoes are polished, all those sorts of things. Now, in today's world, I hear a lot of younger people say, look, I'm going to show up as I am in the world and the heck with people who don't like the way I look. And that's a fine perspective, I guess, but that's not the perspective I grew up with. It was 
dress well, look good. I don't care where you're going. So as a consequence of that, when I went to college, I would always dress up for class. And by dress up, I mean like skirts, heels, makeup, the whole thing. The four years I was in college and people would see me out on the path or see me on my way to class and say, oh, do you have a presentation today or are you going somewhere special? And I said, no, I'm just going to class. So that was interesting in Western Pennsylvania, but that's how I was raised. That has never left me. I always make sure I look the best I can before I leave the house. I think I've only worn sweatpants out of the house to go to the gym and literally go to the gym, get back in the car and drive back home. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go to Starbucks in these, or I'm going to go to the grocery store in these. That's not how I roll because that's absolutely not how I was raised. So coming from that particular background, college in Western Pennsylvania was a rude awakening in many ways, but in other ways, my parents had prepared me well for understanding that the wider world, the world outside of their care and my family's care and my neighborhood's care. The world beyond that was going to be highly judgmental of who I am from the minute I walked in the door. All people were going to do was look at me and make certain assumptions about me because I was black and because I was a woman. And I always understood that. So when I began dating in college, the first and only guy I dated through college, I dated him for a year and a half, was a white guy from Pennsylvania. And he was from middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, like the middle of the state. There were eight towns worth of kids in the high school he went to because that was literally the only high school there. That kind of thing. I had several conversations with him about what it was going to be like dating me in that environment. That if we walked around campus and held hands, people were going to stare. People were going to make comments. People he thought were his friends were going to turn out not to be his friends because now suddenly he had a black girlfriend. Initially, it was very confusing for him. He didn't understand what the big deal was. But as we continued dating, a lot of what I had tried to prepare him for panned out. And he was super upset about certain people and certain situations. But my response was always, I told you this would happen because this is how people react. Some people are not ready for change. The first year we dated, he brought me home to his parents for Christmas, Thanksgiving, some holiday. And they were all his, his siblings, his parents, they were all nice enough to me. But as a black person, you become very in tune with the 
people are being polite because they know they should be polite, but they're just not really crazy about the situation, which further upset him. But again, I told him that this is what he needed to be prepared for. So he ended up, after we were together for a year and a half, we broke up. He ended up leaving school. That had nothing to do with me, surprisingly, but it really didn't. And so that was my first foray into interracial dating. My mother liked him well enough. I, I think she thought he was a good guy, but she really wanted me to be in a relationship with, at the time, a Black boy, and then later a Black man. That's what she wanted. That was her expectation. By the time I went to college, my father had died. But I don't think my father would have had feelings about it one way or the other. He just didn't really want me dating. And I think that's just a dad thing. When I was about 15, he sat me down and said, do you understand what my job is as your father? And I had no idea what he was talking about. So I said, no, dad, why don't you enlighten me? And he said, my job as your father is to keep you away from boys as long as possible. Because I understand what they're thinking. Because I used to be one. So just understand that's my job. <laughs> so I don't think it would have mattered what color the man was I bought home. I think my dad just would have shrugged and eventually said, okay, he's nice enough. But for my mother, it was very important that I be in a relationship with someone Black. When I graduated college, I had a sit-down conversation with my mother where I really had to help her understand that I was not the girl that the Black guys traditionally went for, at least not when I was in college. I was not, keeping in mind, again, this is the late 80s and early 90s, I was not the girl wearing the big gold earrings, or I didn't have the, what I call today, the salt and pepper look. I never looked like that. Just never did. So a lot of men in general, but Black men specifically, when I was in college, looked at me as a nerd or I guess the word we use today is blurred, a black nerd. I did a lot of studying. I was really focused on getting my education. I was not someone who dealt with insanity or craziness or foolishness or any of that. So that made me a little harder to approach. And I only know that because I was friends with a guy in college and he said, you know, you're, you're a tough cookie. You're not going to tolerate foolishness. You want a guy to be there and be upstanding and all those things. And most guys are not ready for that. And at the time I felt kind of insulted. I was thinking, okay, so you're saying that the fact that men don't approach me is my fault. But one of the things I've learned over the years is that I am serious and I am no nonsense. And I apparently give off a vibe to people of like, don't mess with me. 
So that was part of it. My mother was still holding out hope that I would find a black man, especially when I decided to move from New Jersey to the DC metropolitan area. She's like, there are a lot of young, successful black men there. You'll get yourself in a relationship. You'll get married. You'll give me some grandchildren. You'll figure that all out. I moved here. I began dating. I didn't date a lot. I've never dated a lot. I dated a guy here and there, and then none of those relationships worked out. And that was perfectly fine for me. I was in my early 20s. But for my mother, this was horrible and catastrophic. And she really was concerned that I would never settle down. And so yet again, I had to have a sit-down conversation with her and say, listen, if I do not settle down, if I never get married, that's okay with me. I'm good with that. I want my life to be what I want my life to be. And right now, at 25, I'm not ready for that to be with anyone else. And if I never change my feeling about that, then I never change my feeling about that. Any of you who are black women of a certain age who have a black Southern mother, you can only imagine her reaction to that particular statement. <laughs> but eventually she really did have to let go and say, okay, she's going she's gonna to do what she wants. And I have to accept that whether I really want to or not. I met my husband when I was 26. He was 23. We started dating and the relationship went well. And eventually, about three years into it, we decided we wanted to get married. And yet again, I had to sit down with my mother and say, okay, listen, I know what you've always thought and what you've always wanted, but this is, this is the reality. This is what's happening. And I know you think I've spent my life pole vaulting over black men to date white men. And that's honestly not what's happened. And I think that's true for most people who are in interracial relationships. You talk to someone, you vibe with someone, you find that you have shared interests. And the relationship progresses from there. It is not the, I don't want this. It is very much the, okay, I want that because that is who also wants me. And so thankfully, I have an aunt who was career military who went to Germany in the late 1980s for four years and came back with a German husband which was the talk of the family for a long time. She spoke German. He didn't speak any English initially, but he, when she came back, he came back with her. He spent years learning English. He was loving and devoted to her. He was 25 years older than her, which was also a topic of conversation, but he was a retired dentist. 
He felt like he could move his life to a new country and start over with her. And they were married over 20 years before he died. So my aunt really did break the ice in the family in terms of interracial relationships. So it wasn't a totally foreign concept by the time my husband and I were going to get married. But my mother still felt like she had done something wrong or she had messed up along the way and didn't give me the lessons I really needed in order to have my personal life turn out differently. And that made me sad because my parents were incredibly loving people and gave me all of the tools I needed to go out into the world and, and make myself who I became. So I felt very sad that she felt that way. And it took me a few years, but I did finally convince her that it wasn't that she didn't teach me something. It's that she and my father taught me that love is the most important thing and that what your life becomes is based on how much you love and how much you give to people. And so that she shouldn't look at it as a sad situation or a sad day, that it was going to be, you know, her daughter's wedding day and that she should be as happy and joyous as she would be if I married a black man. And by the time of the wedding, she was finally at the point of like, okay, I'm good with this. I understand what you're telling me. I understand this is the reality and I have to accept that. that that's where she was when the wedding happened. It's always interesting to me that people assume that the parents with the issue are going to be the white parents when you talk about black and white relationships. My husband is estranged from his father and has been since he was 10, but he and his mother were super close. And I met his mom pretty early in our dating. Like we might've been dating a couple of months when I met her. And her reaction to me immediately was, you know, you make my son happy and that's all that matters to me. And by the time she died, she referred to me as the daughter she never had. She had two sons and I was the daughter. And so for her, it was never an issue. For her, it was just, you make my son happy. That's all I care about. So it's not always the white parents that have the issue. I think most black people in interracial relationships will tell you that even if the white parents had an issue, their parents had much more issues, which they may have never told their spouse. I've been very honest with my husband along the way about how my mother felt about situations, but not every person in an interracial relationship feels comfortable doing that. So it really does depend on who you are. After my husband and I got married, we moved to 
think our I think our first move was Laurel. I'm pretty sure it was a long time ago now, folks. Sorry, but that's where we moved. And people ask me, people who know me well over the years have asked, do you get reactions from strangers in public? And to be perfectly honest about it, I've long since learned to block out people and their stupidity. If people are going to have an attitude with us or be nasty or be mean, I've long since learned to block that out. As long as you don't put your hands on me, I honestly don't care what you think about me, my husband, and my life. I don't care. My husband initially had much stronger reactions than I did because he was not used to, again, like my first boyfriend, he was not used to people having reactions to him because of who he was with. And I had to talk him down a few times and say, listen, these people are strangers to us. We're never going to see them again. It does not matter. And his feeling was, yeah, but this is America at the time. This is America in 2000 or 2005 or 2010. What is wrong with people? And I said, listen, some people never get over their prejudices. Some people inherit their prejudices from their parents and never bother to find out that there is a different way to think. And some people are just a-holes. That's just fact. So he is now at the point after these many years we've been together that he just doesn't pay it any mind either. What I always find funny is that both women and men will openly flirt with him with me standing right there. <laughs> That's not a racial thing. That's just... Men, women, black, white, it doesn't matter. It's like, I am not there. And he's always been real uncomfortable about that. I just find it humorous because my attitude is like, okay, he's not going anywhere. So like, give it your best shot. It's just not going to work out well for you. <laughs> so I've, I've just always found that funny. In the years we've been married, we have talked a lot about how our relationship has affected other people, friends, people we know. Um, people always say that we really are the people who should have had children because we would have passed that message and that love on to the next generation. I understand why people feel like that. I've always felt that I can do that without having children. I can give my positive energy and my positive feedback. I can let that out into the world without having children, which is one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast. So here we are. But I think people think that people in interracial relationships spend a lot of time talking about the fact that they're in an interracial relationship. We honestly don't. Well, let me rephrase that. My husband and I don't. I don't know that a lot of people do. 
especially if you're an interracial couple who has children and parents and jobs, you have the same issues and concerns that people of the same race have. So it's not that it's a constant discussion in your life. It's just part of who you are. And sometimes you go out and you forget because you love each other and it's not a topic for you. But then you see how people react to you and you're like, oh yeah, we're back to this again. So people have asked me if I think this is something America will ever, you know, quote unquote, get over. I honestly don't. I think as with a lot of topics related to race in America, we like to do the Texas two-step, which is one step forward and three steps backward. There are people who want loving overturned. Now, I know that's a a shocking thing because this was 1967, but they feel like if, uh, among other laws like the Civil Rights Act and other things that people want overturned, they think if we, you know, if America can go back to the way it was, that things will be better. The difference now is that there are so many more couples like my husband and I, and not just black and white couples, mixed Asian couples and Hispanic couples and other groups of people who have taken that step and married someone they loved who happens to be outside their race. People have asked me if marrying my husband was a brave thing for me to do. Probably on some level, because I knew that especially for my mother, it was always going to be an issue, a talking point, a concern. But I can honestly say that over the years my husband and I have been together, my mother really has come to a different place, which is not something I thought she would ever accept and just be good with. And I know this because my husband's mother died of lupus-related complications in 2005. She was only 53, which was a year younger than my father was when he died. So it was very devastating for my husband. We'd been married six years at that point. We were just sort of really getting our acts together and we both had good jobs and all that sort of thing so to lose his mother at that point was quite devastating she died in june i believe sorry honey if i got that wrong but we had her we waited to have her memorial service for a couple of months uh to make sure everybody who wanted to be there could be there there were people coming from other states and other places and we had the service which was extremely sad, but also extremely heartening. And after the service, my mother walked up to my husband and put her hand on his shoulder and said, I'm your mom now. Like, I know I will never replace your mom, but I'm your mom now. And that was when I knew that she had finally gotten to the point of 
okay, I get it. My daughter loves you and you're a really good man to my daughter as you were to your mother. Sorry, this gets me emotional. And I, I'm here for you. And they've had a good relationship ever since. He's very protective of her as he is of me. Um, my mother is a strong woman and, you know, she's not someone who needs protecting or needs any of that, but that's who my husband is. And I love him for that. I love that he put in the time and the effort with her and did the work so that they can be in a good place. That has made my life considerably easier. So what I know now that I didn't know when I got married is that what happens between you and the person you love is the most important thing. It, it's way more important than anything else. Uh, I think people, a lot of people, get married, excuse me, God, <clears throat> get married and don't really understand not so much the commitment, although some people don't understand that either, but they don't understand that everything else now takes a back seat. Everything. Because your relationship is the foundation for so much. And that's what I know now that I didn't know almost 25 years ago. And, and that's a great thing to now know. So I hope you enjoyed this slice of my life. And I look forward to seeing you next week for episode seven. Remember, you can get this podcast on YouTube, on my YouTube page, which is Brick City Brown Chick. And you can also get it wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Music, all those places. The Brick City Brown Chick is there and I will see you all next week. Thank you.